Praise be to God. We are in a summer series, and we're calling it, calling it Summer in the Spirit. Summer in the Spirit. Uh, last week for Father's Day, I preached a different message, but I'm getting back talking about the Spirit of God. So two weeks ago was uh, Pentecost Sunday, and we really shared about the day of Pentecost and the significance of the day of Pentecost. And I'm really going to pick up right where I left off in Acts chapter 2. There's going to be a little bit of overlap, but I want to share something uh, new today. And I'm going to read um, a little bit extensive uh, section of scripture, uh, so bear with me. But it's important that, that we read it all and understand it because it's kind of a whole within the word of God. This is Acts uh, chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. Acts chapter 2 starting in verse 1 can follow along in, in the scriptures. We'll put it up on the screen. It says this, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How and how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the, other, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live, all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we're so grateful for your word. We're so grateful for the power of the Holy Spirit. We're so grateful, Lord, that we are children of the new covenant, and all these promises are made available to us. Now, Father, we ask that your holy presence would accompany us today as I speak and as we all hear, Holy Spirit, we ask that you manifest yourself as the teacher, as the paraclete, and that you would guide us into deeper waters. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Now, 
Last time I talked a little bit about the day of Pentecost and what the day of Pentecost was. Pentecost comes from the word 50, just like we have Penta 5. Uh, Pentecost is 50 days, seven weeks plus one day after the Passover. So that's how we know uh, pretty much how long the disciples were seeking God and praying together after the ascension of the Lord because it says that Jesus was with them, the risen Lord was with them for about 40 days and then uh, he ascended to heaven. And then they went to Jerusalem in obedience to his word. He said, don't go anywhere. Uh, step one for the mission that I've put you on is for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So go to Jerusalem and pray. And so when it says the day of Pentecost came, we know that's 10 days after uh, Jesus ascended. So they were, they were together, they were praying, they're seeking God, and I've talked about unity uh, and the importance of unity. Um, I want to, <laughs> it's a little bit funny to me, but I want to I share something here. I've, uh, I've talked about unity, and I've talked about harmony, and I've talked about us being of one mind and one heart, and it's just something that is burning inside of me. It's just something that I feel very strongly right now, that, that God wants to take us to a new level. His word says he takes us from glory to glory, right? So it's not, it's not like an on and off switch. It's like a dimmer switch, right? You, the light's on, but then he wants to take us to another level. So I'm talking about it so much that some people have kind of gotten back to me and said, all right, pastor, give us the scoop. Who's mad? Who's clashing with each other. What's the problem? You keep talking about unity, so it's kind of like you must be digging at us. Uh, no, <laughs> um, that's not what's going on. It's just something that I feel like the Lord is dealing with us, and sometimes I just feel like we, we need to dwell on a truth and let the Holy Spirit search us out, because a lot of times we feel like we're right, and then the Lord deals with us, uh, not because we're not Christians or, or not uh, walking in blessing, but because he wants to take us to a new level of glory. Amen? How many want to go to a new level? That's what I want. And so God is, God is working <clears throat> here among the disciples, and the truth of the matter is he's taken them to a whole new level. And so when the day of Pentecost comes, we know this happened in early morning, right? Because later in the passage it tells us that. This move of the Holy Spirit comes. There's a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and there's a manifestation that's actually visible to the eye in that first occurrence where it looks like there's fire resting upon each one of them. And it says they all began to speak in other tongues. Now that's a word that is used, but I want to tell you what the word is in Greek. It simply means languages, right? They just began to speak in different languages. Now, this is the other aspect to what the day of Pentecost was. There were a lot of festivals that were practiced throughout the year in Jerusalem. There's greater festivals uh, in the holy calendar of Israel, and there are lesser uh, festivals. And Pentecost was an important one. It was what we call a pilgrimage festival. And there were a number of them. Passover is a pilgrimage festival, and um, the Day of Atonement is a, a pilgrimage festival. So Passover's in the spring, the Day of Atonement's in the fall, but in the summer, you have Pentecost, and that was a pilgrimage festival. It was a time when Jews literally came from all over uh, the Mediterranean world, the known world of that time. And so there were uh, a 
a lot of people in Jerusalem at that time and on that day that didn't normally live there. Okay, so that's what it's being referred to. Jerusalem is crowded on that particular day. And they're there on that day, these people that are not normal residents of Jerusalem, but they've come for that festival because it's a time of pilgrimage. They're devout. They're obedient. Doesn't mean every Jew all over the Mediterranean world came, but the serious ones did. That's an important point. The ones that were especially devout, they made the effort, they made the expense and took the risk, and they traveled. And so they're there. And it's named in the following passage where they're from. And I'm going to give you the lowdown among all those uh, sort of tongue twister names. There was a block of people that were from the eastern part of, of the uh, Middle East. So we're talking about everything from basically what is uh, Syria, Iraq, Jordan, what is now Syria, Iraq, uh, maybe uh, a little bit into the, what is now Iran, that area. They were from that area, and they, and they named that area when it says Parthians, Medes, and Elamites. That's the residents of Mesopotamia. It's that area. And then they begin to name uh, these lesser kingdoms that form what is now uh, Turkey, right? So that was a densely populated area. And then they, they start naming uh, areas in North Africa, Egypt, Libya, Libya, and then they name Italy, Rome. And so this, all these people from all around, sort of ringing the Mediterranean world, they've all come together, and they are there at that time. And they all hear uh, the words of God and the glories of God. Uh, they hear these disciples declaring the glory of God in their own native language, and it impacts them. Now, I'm going to tell you uh, just... Just at the beginning here, uh, and it gets deeper because later, Peter's flat out says, this was foretold, folks. Don't, don't be so caught off guard by this because this is foretold. How many have waited for God to do something, and you're believing for God to do it, you're waiting for God to do it, and all of a sudden he does it, and you're surprised? You know what I'm talking about? Like, he, and the Lord said, well, the Lord said, I, I told you I was going to do it. You've been waiting and praying that I would do it, and now I did it, and you're like, God, when are you ever going to do this, and then he does it, and you're like, God, slow down, you're moving, so, so that's kind of the way we are, but God's got his timing, and he's fulfilling, but there's something even deeper and farther back than the prophet Joel, whom Peter refers to, that is being fulfilled here, back in the earliest chapters of the book of Genesis. There's a story, and it's the story of the Tower of Babel. Now, the story of Babel is basically this. People were rebelling against God. God had told humanity, had told uh, Adam and Eve that he wanted them to fill the earth and subdue it. He wanted them to spread out. He wanted them to go and fill the earth. That was his goal, was to fill the void of the earth. But here what you had was you had people that were banding together, and they said, we don't want to be scattered. We don't want to go out into the earth. We want to make a name for ourselves. That's a big problem. Anytime you want to make a name for yourself, there's problems. You want to make it, you want to glorify God, now there's life. So God famously comes down, and he uses languages to scatter the people. Anybody remember that story? He uses languages to scatter the people. And from that time, 
you could read in Genesis, from that time, at that point, that's when Abraham steps onto the stage. That's when God picks out one man, and from that one man, he raises up one nation, and he redeems in the context of just that one nation, and he works through that one nation. But I want to tell you, the first thing that he said to Abraham is he said, all nations will be blessed through you. God never forgot about the nations, never forgot about his goal to touch all the nations, but he said, I'm going to call you out, leave your father's gods behind, leave the idolatry behind and follow the one true God. So from the time of the Tower of Babel up through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's all about Israel. Why? Because he's raising up Israel, and through Israel, he's going to pour out his truth. As Jesus said to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, he said, salvation is from the Jews. So through the Jews, it's going to come. The number one Jew through whom salvation comes is the Lord Jesus. So now that Jesus is raised from the dead, God pours out his Holy Spirit, and what he does is he redeems Babel. He sets the events of the Tower of Babel on their head. Languages before were used to scatter. Now languages are used to gather. Languages are used to communicate in a sign that can't be communicated any other way. This is the linchpin reason when we talk about the gift of the Holy Spirit and this gift of languages which is commonly called the gift of speaking in other tongues. When the Apostle Paul, and I'll talk about this more later in the series, when the Apostle Paul talks about nine gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you know, seven of those gifts are in operation in the Old Testament. You can find examples of working of miracles, even healing, multiplication of food, Elisha did that. All these different miracles, they happened in the Old Testament. The one thing that didn't occur in the Old Testament that's among the nine is tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Why? Because that's a new covenant gift. It's about redeeming that which was scattered. It's about gathering in the nations again. It's a sign that God is turning his eyes of favor once again upon the nations in this time of grace to gather them in so that Jesus can come again to a bride that's made up of all the nations of the world. So this is a powerful sign that the, these languages are poured out. And these people right here are Jews. All of them are Jews. But they've been among the nations, and so their native language is from all these other, from all these other nations. When I was in Jerusalem uh, in Israel a couple of months ago, we had a guide there. He's Jewish. He's, he's an Israeli. His first language was Spanish. Why? Because he was raised in Argentina. Argentina. He was raised in Argentina and he moved back to Israel. He's Jewish, but his first language is Spanish. There are Jews that I've met. We had, I had a, a Christian Jew uh, colleague when I was getting my doctorate at Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. His name was Noel Rabinowitz. I think that's just a little bit Jewish. He's a Christian, but his first language was English, right? So what you've got here are Jews that have lived for generations in these different countries, and they speak these other languages as their first language, and now they're coming together, and they're hearing the wonders of God, but they're hearing it in their local language. And this is a powerful, powerful sign 
And this is a manifestation, not the only manifestation of speaking in tongues, but it's a manifestation of speaking in tongues that's very powerful. Let me chase a rabbit here for a second and give you an example. When I was in Kentucky, there was a um, situation going on with our church. And for different reasons, our church became a haven for um, refugees from Africa. Not African-Americans, I'm talking Africans. I'm talking people, especially from West Africa. And there was a man who came, and he was, uh, he was actually a pretty high official in the government of Liberia, and there was a coup, there was an overthrow, a military overthrow, and he had to flee the country. He had to flee the country with his family, and he came, of all places, to Louisville, Kentucky. And he's there, he's with his family, and he is, he's a, an educated man. Uh, he's a man who's uh, used to speaking publicly. He's a man of influence. Um, but he's broke. He's devastated. He had to flee the country. And he's sitting on the front row of the church right here. And in, in that church, in that service, right at the end of worship, they would bring up all the, all the deacons, all the ministers. There's a large church. And they'd line the front and say, we're going to have a time of prayer. And so... There was a man standing here, he was a deacon, and he, he happened to be standing right in front of where this man was seated, and he got done praying for who he was praying for, and that person went away. And so the, this man from Liberia was, was uh, I don't know, maybe 20 feet or so, 15, 20 feet from this deacon, and there, nobody was praying with the deacon, and the deacon was just there, and the music's going, and he, he's praying in the spirit, he's praying in tongues just glorifying God. And as he prayed, this man from Liberia heard words in his own native language, his own tribal tongue. This is the number of little tribal languages in Africa are like the stars of the sky. And he, he's listening, and here's this man speaking in this African language, accent perfect accent perfect he's speaking and you know what he's saying he's saying i brought you to this country you weren't driven out i carried you here and now i'm going to cover you i'm going to take care of you i'm going to watch over your family i'm going to provide for you so don't be afraid now saints that's a miracle and those miracles have happened many many times I'll give you another one Joseph, we came home on a furlough about 20 years ago. It was a short furlough, again to Kentucky. Joseph's a teenager at the time, and he worked uh, for a week. They grabbed him. He's a, what do they call it, MK, a missionary kid. They're like, hey, come work our, one of our summer camps. So the Kentucky Assemblies of God had a, a campground there, and they'd have different camps uh, a week long, and they had a kid's camp. So these are kids that are... Um, you know, uh, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, something like that. And so they had the thing, and he's helping them, doing what kids do at camp, run around, jump in lakes, do different things. But they had a evening service every night, and the last night they had a service where they're going to pray for these kids that they'd be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Joseph's in the altar, and he's praying for a nine-year-old boy 
blonde hair, blue eyes, typical Louisville, Kentucky suburbanite kid. Joseph lays hands on him and prays for him, and this kid begins to speak in another language. But here's the miracle. It's fluent Spanish. And what he prays is, oh Dios, llename con tu Espíritu Santo y que rios de agua viva fluyan de mi ser interior. Isn't that incredible? Oh, you want to know what he said. Um, he said, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit and may rivers of living water flow from my inmost being. Now, what nine-year-old says that in English? Much less in fluent Spanish. And Joseph understood every word. Now, that's another miracle. This is a sign that God, that God gives so naturally, there's a response to that, and we can read it in verses 8 through 10. It says, uh, it says and how is it that we hear each of us in our uh, own na native language? And then it goes on. It says, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying, what does this mean? So wonder is a natural response when there's something uh, wondrous going on. Wonder is the response. Wonder is something that the church needs to recover. This is why we fast, we pray, we beg, we plead, we seek God, we repent, and we cleanse ourselves before the Lord. And then we, we go back to seek a deeper level, a, another level of glory. Because we need wonder. Does anybody notice what's happening in our society today? You can't reason with people. It used to be that if somebody was in sin and going wrong, you could say, you know, the Bible says, and they'd, they'd be shamed. They'd be convicted. They'd, you, people would quote the Bible, and there'd be, there'd be a response to it. I was pastoring a church a number of years ago up in Seattle, and we, we dug up some old clippings of that church church was founded in 1940, so, you know, it's about 80 years old. But for the 75th anniversary, we dug up some, some newspaper clippings. And in the early 1960s, <clears throat> there was a revival at the church. It brought in an evangelist, and there was a revival at the church. And some young people gave their hearts to the Lord. It made the Seattle Times. The Seattle Times put it in print. There's been a revival at Brighton Tabernacle Assembly of God, and five young people gave their hearts to Jesus. Can you imagine the Seattle Times printing that today? If they did it today, it'd probably be to call for a demonstration to have some people go down there and pick at the church and get mad. Things have changed in our society. But I want to tell you, don't be discouraged, because it's simply becoming more and more like the culture that was in place when the New Testament was written. There's power available to us. And God knew there's no reasoning. How do you reason with somebody? How do you reason somebody into believing the resurrection? Now, you can talk about it to a point, but at the end of the day, it's got to be faith. Now, you can talk about it and everything else, but when Jesus walks into the room, that settles it. It just settles it. 
And that's what we seek. We seek the power of the Holy Spirit. And we seek power encounters where God does a work that just defies explanation. Wonder. But there's also scorn. It says, others mocking said they are filled with new wine. You know, um, there's always somebody, you know. Um, it's Cain getting mad because Abel's offering got accepted. It's the older brother who won't go in and join the dancing when the prodigal comes home. Um, it's, you know, the Pharisees getting mad because uh, uh, the, the disciples are all shouting Hosanna to the son of David. Whenever anybody's having a good time in Jesus, there's always got to be a killjoy around there to say, "Don't oh, come on, you, you guys are just, you know. Now, if it's about the Seahawks, that's cool. Everybody can scream at the top of their lungs. But if it's about Jesus, everything's got to be done decently and in order. Um, when I was a kid, my pastor cracked a joke. He said, did you hear about the dead church? It was so dead, somebody passed away in the back row, and they took out three bodies before they got the right one. <laughs> we know. <clears throat> Praise God. So we're going to be alive in Jesus, amen. We're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, some people are going to scorn, but that's just part of it, right? If you're going, if you always set the temperature by uh, the naysayers, you're never going to have any faith, amen? God has called us not to be thermometers, but thermostats. God's called us to set the heat and to turn it up. Not in here. It needs to be cool in here. But spiritually, we need to set the temperature, right? Not react and not let somebody else set the pace for us. So then we get into Peter's message. Now, the first thing you want to notice about Peter's message isn't anything necessarily that he says. It's how he says it. Did anybody notice there's a little bit of a change in Peter? I mean, it wasn't just a little bit earlier where you had a little slave girl who was, aren't you, I think you were with him. No, I wasn't. I don't know the man. I don't know. He was a scaredy cat. Not too long ago. Now he's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus said. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. I'm just going to tell you, I shared this a little while ago, but when I was in my first year of college, I, I was holding my own, and I was trying to share Jesus with pe people, and people were listening to me. Some, my roommates kind of had to, because I lived with them. Uh, captive audience there, but I, I wasn't really effective. I was doing, but when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, people started coming to Jesus like crazy. I'm just telling you, that's that's the story. That's what happened. There was a power that came. A power came upon Peter, and he was tremendously bold. This is the guy who just days earlier was afraid. Hey, I'm going to end up crucified. He was he was afraid looking at a little girl, and now he's standing up in front of. 
He's as vulnerable as he can be, but he's filled with the Spirit of God, and he is roaring like a lion. The first thing that he does is he waves off the scorn. He says, these people are not drunk as you suppose since it's only the third hour of the day. When I was a kid in college, we used to say, they're not drunk as you suppose. <laughs> they're drunk in the Holy Spirit. Not drunk as you suppose. Well, that's the way to read it. But he's saying, respectfully, we're not going to, that's not true. Here's the thing you got to understand about sinners in dealing with the, the things of, of God. Sinners sin. That's what they do. They're sinners. And some of the people that you expect are never going to be redeemed, God turns around and redeems them. The number one naysayer that I have borne witness to in my life when I was coming to Jesus was me. My brother came to Jesus before me. I laughed at him. I made fun of him. I said, oh, that's stuff. But you never know. You never know who's going to turn. I, you know, the Apostle Paul coming to Jesus, I wouldn't believe it if it weren't in the Scriptures. So he dealt respectfully with the naysayers. He didn't get all mad and bent out of shape. But then he confirms and he channels the wonder. He confirms and he channels that wonder that the other people had. First of all, he tells them, this is not the lightning bolt out of the clear blue sky that you think it is. This is foretold. This is something that God had planned all along. And I want to tell you, even beyond Peter's own comprehension at that time, and we know this from reading the rest of the New Testament, the DNA of the gospel is that God always had all the nations of the world planned. Talk about languages. English didn't even exist when this book was written. Spanish didn't exist. There are whole peoples that have risen and, have fall and fallen in the intermediate. God's got a big tent. And God wants a big family. How many glad that he waited for you? Glory to God. You know what? He's waiting on some others. Let's get them in too. Amen. Let's play God's way. Let's go in God's pattern. And this is God's pattern. He's foretold it. This isn't some weird, strange thing. It strikes us as strange because we're so natural-minded. But when we get into God's mindset, we understand this is something that is foretold. He's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. He wants these gifts for everybody. And that's the next thing. He quotes the passage from Joel. And this passage includes two major aspects. The first, I just mentioned, gifts. God pours out his gifts. He wants to gift his people. He wants them to be filled with gifts. And we're going to talk about gifts in the days to come. But you know, you can stir up gifts. You can provoke the gifts. You can hunger after the gifts and you can desire them. And those gifts will be stirred up in you. This is a different way of thinking. But God 
desires these things for us. The other thing that he mentions is Ahuva. Ahuva. He says, I'll show wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke, and the sun will turn into darkness, the moon to blood. You know, that's, if I were writing it, I wouldn't have written that. I would have made it about the Garden of Eden, or I would have made it about Jesus feeding thousands of people with all two tuna fish sandwiches or whatever. I would have, I would have made it like all this idyllic, wonderful stuff. The idyllic stuff will come. The blessings and the peace and the harmony and all that, that's, that's, that's there for us. But the first thing that the Holy Spirit does is he overturns the order of things as they were. Now, this is the human way of thinking. We say, God, help me. God, I need you to, I need you to change my situation. How many have prayed that? How many have prayed, God, I need help. I need you to change. I don't like things the way they are. I need you to change them. I need you to work in my situation and change them. We pray that. We think that way. And we are as resistant to change as any bunch that's ever happened. God's like, okay, I'm going to answer that prayer. And then he does his way. And we're like, what's with all the change? Does anybody notice that? I just want to say this. Jesus rose from the dead crucified, died, buried, rose from the dead. And now he's pouring out his Holy Spirit to transform us from the inside out and link us together and make us a community of faith so that Satan had a headache with Jesus walking around, healing people, casting out devils, preaching the gospel, doing great works, liberating those who are oppressed of the enemy. And the devil's like, this guy's giving me a headache. I got to get rid of him. The door opens. The devil crucifies him, thinks it's all done. And now the Holy Spirit's poured out. And now you got 120 little Jesuses running around. It's like clone apocalypse for the devil. Right? Now they're going around. They're laying hands on people. They're doing. Peter's shadow is healing people. I mean, there are miracles going like crazy. And now the devil's like, wait, now there's two, now there's, there's 120. And then Peter preaches and 3,000 more come. This is a nightmare for the devil. But I want to ask the God's people, you as God's people, did we think it would be easy? Did we think that in the midst of him overturning, God overturning the order such as it was, that it was, it was just going to be smooth sailing for us? How many, how many are fully 100% sanctified? You're just like Jesus already. Anybody? Any takers? That means God's got, got to plow the ground in me. I love those passages that says, turn over your fallow ground. Plow up the fallow ground in you. The part of you that isn't yet surrendered fully to the Lord, plow that up. Surrender that over to the Lord. Well, hey, having the, the blade of a plow bite into the substance of your gut is not exactly the most comfortable thing. But you know what? Fruit is going to be born out of it. 
People are going to get saved. People are going to be set free. You're going to take people to heaven with you that wouldn't have been there at all. There's a price. So there's upheaval when the Spirit of God is poured out. But it's, it's, it's a season. Then the fruit comes. Amen. Then the blessing comes. The last thing is this. The power that you just saw in Peter is for everybody. This is verses 37 through 39. It says, now when they heard this, this is after he preaches, he preaches about Jesus, he talks about the prophecies of Jesus and how Jesus is risen from the dead and he's been glorified as Messiah. It says in verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I talked about this before. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. This is what I shared before. This is the revolution of the new covenant. Before... The Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit was reserved for one of three offices under the Old Covenant. Prophet, priest, or king. If you were a prophet, a priest, or a king, you experienced the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon you. And, and Ezekiel says the hand of God was upon me. Or the hand of God was heavy on me. That's, a, that's another metaphor, that's another illustration to indicate the Spirit of God was visiting me and speaking to me and giving me a word to speak to God's people. But it was limited to those people. This now, even as God opens up the mission and spreads it to all the nations of the world, he also says the Spirit of God is for everybody. Everybody. We can all receive, I want to just tell you, you can be as close to Jesus as you desire to be. You, I'm going to say it again. You can be as close to Jesus as you desire to be. But you've got to choose. Well, I don't want to choose. You just chose. You've got to choose. And this isn't just a, I, I believe in altar calls. You all know I do. But this isn't about just an altar call thing. This is about a life choice that you make. This is about the quality life choices that you make in your life. I believe I, every human being has got a capacity to pursue, to desire things at a level where they pursue those things. Okay? I desire a lot of things, but I have, no, I have no energy to pursue them. I would love to play the harmonica. I would love to be able to pull a harmonica out of my pocket and have one of those, story, those, those gifts where I just like, oh, I can play this thing. Why the harmonica? Why not the harmonica? Harmonicas are cool. But I don't have any, I don't have any drive for it. I don't have any reservoir inside of me to push after that thing. And to, and to pull it into my life. And it's the same way. There are a lot of different things that you can desire. And, and I'm not talking about wicked things. I'm just talking about stuff. 
that you can desire and that you can go after. But those things are taking up your bandwidth. You've only got so much energy to go after stuff. And here's, here's, here's the choice. Do you want? My, you know, my pastor used to say this. People want God, but they don't desire him. They, they want these things at a level of, yeah, I'd like that, yeah. But they don't desire him. And Peter is saying something powerful here. Revival is not a spectator sport. Revival is not something that we watch. Revival is something that we walk in. It's something that we experience. Revival, as most people understand it, when a church begins to, to catch flame, it's when you have enough people who've made quality choices that they're going to desire the things of God over just their natural desires. And they're going to seek the things of God and they're going to say, the Holy Spirit's for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk deeper and closer. I'm going to seek to walk deeper and closer than I ever have. Here's the tough thing. It's uncharted waters for so many people. They just don't know how to do it. They've never, they've never walked that path before. But I want to tell you, that's the point of the Holy Spirit. He's the paraclete. He's the one who indwells us. He's the one called alongside the help. And he's the one who, who guides us. The Lord says, you will seek me and you will find me. When what? You seek with all your heart, with all your heart. I want to ask uh, Pastor Elijah to come and if he would just, uh, just play a little bit for us. I want us to bow our heads in prayer right where we are, right where we are, right where we are. Hallelujah. You know, saints, what I just shared with you, I don't know, some of you may have heard it before, some of you, it might be new, but I want to tell you, it's, it's not cheese souffle, it, it's, it's, it's not some rare, di this is meat and potatoes, this is Acts chapter 2, this is not, this is not Revelation chapter 12, this is basic, straightforward, new covenant, identity of the church stuff. This is who we are as Christians. If we can't walk in the shoes of, 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 of Acts chapter 2, what are we doing? I want to tell you, you can. The gift is for you. The promise is for you. I, I want to tell you, the Lord loves you. The Lord loves you. He sees you. He desires to hear your voice. He's got wonders and blessings for you untold that you haven't imagined yet. Right now, with your own voice and your own way, I want you to call in the name of the Lord. All who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. I just want you to call on his name. Jesus. 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 Jesus, we're asking for your presence in this place. Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. 
Father, we come to you as a body. We come to you, Lord, as a people. Now, Father, we're asking that you touch us as individuals and as a church. God, at the very foundation of our faith, at the very foundation of who we are as a people, stir up in us, O oh God, a hunger and a drive for the things of God. Lord, we've been disappointed by things in this world so many times that it's so easy to be subtly cynical where we just say, oh God, God, I, I just, I, I don't want any fireworks. I just, I just want to make it to heaven. God, help us. Help us to think like your word. Renew our minds in your word. Visit us with your Holy Spirit. And help us think not just about getting to heaven, but thinking about bringing other people with us. Thinking about walking in the fullness. Thinking about being excited by things that are eternal and not just temporal. God, give us eyes to see the unseen. Give us a discerning heart to understand when you're turning things over and you're stirring things up and you're, you're doing something that we didn't expect, God, that you might be up to something. Right now, in Jesus' name, we call on the name of the Lord and we ask, Father, that you pour out your Holy Spirit. God, we're sorry we've been satisfied with so little. God, we ask that you pour out your Holy Spirit. I ask, God, that your grace would dwell upon every person under the sound of my voice. God, that there would be a grace that would rest upon them. God, to seek you. God, that they would get traction in your presence. They would sense, Lord God, that they're being heard. God, we rebuke and we cast down the brass heaven. God, that everybody who calls on your name, Lord Jesus, there'd be a stirring of your presence. And they would pursue that stirring. Father, that as you're waking up gifts inside of them, God, you'd, you'd give them faith, God. You'd help them. Lord Jesus, let their greatest, highest aspirations to be used of God wake up again. Oh God, in Jesus' name, I pray right now that you give us souls. Give this church souls. Give us souls, Lord God, to touch people. In the name of the Lord Jesus, that people would no longer be in bondage, that people no longer would be in chains. They'd be set free, Lord God. Father, we glorify you and we praise you and we honor you. Oh, Father, let your Holy Spirit blow. Let the wind rush and blow. Let the dry bones awaken, Lord God. Raise us up on our feet. And do a work, Father, for which only you will get the glory. Only you will get the glory. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Glory be to God.